episode 237, Amy Edmondson, professor at Harvard Business School and author of Right Kind of Wrong. Most of my stories are from my research, even though I have many, many mistakes in, in, my, ho- in my own life. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links to learn more about Amy, her books, and more, look in the show notes or go to markrabin.com slash mistake237. And now, on with the show. Hi, welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. Our guest today is Amy C. Edmondson, the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School. She's renowned for her research on psychological safety for more than 20 years now. Um, She was named in 2021 and again just very recently by Thinkers 50 as the number one management thinker in the world. Her TED Talk, How to Turn a Group of Strangers into a Team, has been viewed over 3 million times. Uh, She received her degrees, her PhD, AM, and AB from Harvard University, and she's the author of books including The Fearless Organization, a great book on psychological safety, uh, book Teaming, and some related books there. And her latest, Right Kind of Wrong, um, was released, I believe, in September, and it's certainly available now. So, um, Amy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk about the book and, and to talk about psychological safety. That's a topic that has been brought up by uh, many, many guests on the show here. But we, we do always kind of start with a standard question here. Um, so what would you say is your favorite mistake or at least a favorite mistake? Well, I I, I have two categories of favorite mistakes um, and 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 because I've been studying mistakes and failures for 30 years, um, most of my stories are from my research, even though I have many, many mistakes in, in my ho- in my own life. So so let me give you two. One is one is um, one that I write about in Right Kind of Wrong, um, which was uh, it's an old mistake, but it's such a good one. Uh, it, it occurs back in 1888 uh, when a young man named Lee Kumshong who was a, a 26-year-old chef um, at, a, at a restaurant in, in Guangdong in, in, in China, um, left his oysters cooking too long. He basically burnt the oysters, um, which is a mistake, uh, not a desirable one. And, you know, ingredients are costly and margins are tight. So this this matters. Um, but, and when because he left it too long and burnt it up, it, he came back to the sticky brown mess, he decided... Mm-hmm smartly to taste it and it was <laughs> delicious and that is how oyster sauce was born and um when his grandson died in 2021 uh, the family was worth more than 17 billion uh, as a result of that mistake so that to me is you know that's why it's a favorite right it, because it's yeah. just quintessential you know something you didn't mean to do and probably in the moment felt very bad about doing that gave birth to 
you know, a, a, a powerhouse company. Yeah. Now, on can, the can personal- we talk about that one a little sure, bit more sure, sure. before yeah. the second story? So, yeah. um, with within the framework of, of of your book and what you've written about before, burning the oysters is what you would call a basic failure. Correct? Yes. Just yes. not doing what you yep. a single knew. human error in known territory. But now tasting that sauce that that could have been a mistake that that was more now on the innovation front to take a risk well tasting something it's a pretty small risk if you think about it right you know what's the worst that can happen you spit it out it tastes terrible but why not right so i I would i would say that 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 the act of tasting it was maybe an act of of curiosity um but 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 certainly um a kind of why not right this sort of undesired thing has happened why not like and then over- recognize its deliciousness um, <laughs> probably wasn't too hard to recognize but to decide wait a minute i may be on to something that could easily have not happened right you could have yeah. just gone home and told your you know your your wife uh you know i burnt the oysters but yeah, it's okay it tasted pretty good but to kind of think wait a minute maybe there's a product that i could make and bottle here that's pretty interesting yeah yeah overcooked doesn't bring the same danger as undercooked would in the world of food and i'm, I'm guessing the chef right knew, great point knew, knew that but yeah. it's it's good that the chef there didn't like in a fit of anger throw the pan or do right. something right that right would, I love that. Yeah. Throw the pan at the wall or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple different types of failures or it starts to see where the categorization and is helpful. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll come back and dig more into that, but uh, I, sorry, I cut you off. There was a second example. Well, I was going to say, I might as well give it, I mean, this is a very small one, but it's um, it's a, it was a failure on my part. I mean, a mistake, sorry, a mistake on my part. Um. I, I was a huge fan of Carol Dweck's work on on growth mindset. I, I uh, read the book Mindset. I, I did my best as a parent to um, respond to my sons in a way that encouraged a growth mindset. But in in you know in one moment on a ski slope, when my younger son, who was you know maybe seven or eight years old, uh, came asked me to watch him come down the the slope, you know, stand at the bottom and watch, and I did. And he came down and he said, uh, how did I do? And I said, you did great. Now, in growth mindset terms, that is a mistake, right? You don't just, you don't praise the outcome, you comment on the process. You're the sort effort. of, yeah. And, and, and of course he is, you know, he wasn't exactly an Olympic level skier. He was just a little kid learning and snow plowing and, you know, and trying to make his turns carefully. So it's, um, it it it's a mistake. It's not really it's not really the way you want to interact. Um, it's just like praise for everything uniformly and and nothing useful in that content. Um, but to to his credit, Nick looked up at me and 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 said, "Can't you can't you tell me anything I didn't do well so that I can oh. get better?" Oh <laughs> wow wow right <laughs> wow! I said I've got one. Like I've got a kid who's got a growth mindset. Even if I'm making mistakes all the time, yeah. uh, it was it was it was pretty cool. Now, like from that moment, did that help you? I mean, we all slip up, right? We can right. learn something and we can know something is a mistake and we might still repeat it. But did that all moment help you be more mindful about not repeating that small parenting mistake? Yes, it did. I mean, I was so flabbergasted by his insight uh, to, to understand that that wasn't helpful to him, that it absolutely led me 
um, to be more thoughtful and more conscious about, you know, so I, I really would discipline myself to say, to comment on process. And I, you know, really like how you're approaching this problem set, not, oh, aren't you smart? You know, that, that you're solving that difficult problem so darn quickly. Um, but to, to comment on process. So I, 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 um, I I think that reflect that reflection that moment it was so stunning for me that I I did become more mindful going forward. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, Amy. We we've already touched on. We've got these two words: mistake and failure. Um, how how do you see the connections between those words? So many failures in our lives, in our jobs, in our companies are caused by mistakes, um, but not all failures are caused by mistakes. Some failures are the undesired results of thoughtful hypotheses, right, of, of, of um, trying something out on purpose in new territory and hoping you're right, but in fact, alas, you're wrong. So that, that be, that's a failure, but it's not a mistake. There's no, there's no mistake in sight, especially if you define a mistake as a deviation from a known practice or protocol. Yeah. And there's different dictionary definitions of um, the word mistake being more of an action that leads to, you know, some sort of bad or unexpected right. outcome. And like, and that's where, like, to me anyway, I think of the mistake as it could be an action or an inaction, possibly, possibly oh. leading to a failure, right? Yes. Right. In fact, many mistakes, fortunately, don't lead to failures, right? We can, we can make, you know, we can make a dozen mistakes a day and get away with most of them. I mean, that it, you, and you know, you notice that you've done it, but thankfully, you know, thank, thankfully nothing really bad happened. But then in, in, in business, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that not all failures are caused by mistakes. Some business failures could be caused by outside factors. Maybe the mistake is not recognizing a, a shift with new competition, but not, I mean, it's right. not a simple mistake. It's not a simple mistake. It's not a um, a failure to observe and use existing knowledge, right? You, you could call those um, judgment, judgment errors, you know, but it's even, a, it's often a judgment whether or not it's an error, right? It, it, sometimes it really is, yeah, you know, if you'd been a little more thoughtful, that would have been clear, but, but, uh, but quite often, no, it's in hindsight it's clear, but but at the outset it might not have been clear. Well, and then there's that that question of like in the moment we see this happen a lot. It's in the news. You might hear it at work where somebody makes a decision and someone else says that's a mistake. I'm like, well, I don't they, that that other person maybe has a different hypothesis about what's about to take place. We don't know, right? It's a different prediction, right? They have a different prediction than you. Now, I do think you have a. Um, you should be motivated to listen to why they see it differently because that may in fact change your mind. Um, but it may be that neither, you know, that you both um, have, there's uncertainty and you, you have a different view and it's really not um, knowable unless you go try it. Yeah. So um, one thing you wrote about that really resonated with me is um, there, there's, there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot variations of fail early fail often and you know like oh, i don't think failing is the end goal like failing no. often like where 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 do you think that phrase somehow kind of misses the mark 
Well, I, I think it misses the mark by inadvertently implying, you know, maybe not on purpose, but inadvertently implying a kind of one size fits all prescription, right? That that all of us should be more willing to fail early and fail often. Well, yes, and only in certain conditions is that helpful advice, right? And and for me, those conditions are absolutely limited to when we are knowingly in new territory and when the stakes are manageable, the risks, the risks are manageable. Then, you know, because there's no other way to get the knowledge you truly want and need, you've got to try things. Because you're not trying them hoping they fail. You're trying, hoping they succeed. You know, you really hope you're right mm-hmm. with your hypothesis or with your test. Um, and you just are willing and emotionally ready to accept the possibility you might not be right. I mean, I think that's what that phrase is all about. And in that sense, it's it's powerful and useful. But let's limit it to the contexts where it makes sense. And let's also be clear that we're not setting out to fail. We're setting out to experiment. And and um, it you know becomes quite obvious how nonsensical it would be to tell people in a cardiac surgery operating room, you know, fail off, fail early, fail often. It's like, what are you talking about? No, thank you. Or, or passenger air travel. No, that's, that's dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And being open to the idea that we could be wrong, that we could fail. Then I think if we are able to detect that, willing to admit that, adjust and learn. I mean, the phrase might be fail early, learn from it, succeed later. That's not as pithy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to have failures, it's better to have them early and it's better to have them small. Yeah, right. right. And 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 then, um, and, you know, steal yourself too. Because even though they're early and they're small, you still won't like them in the moment. Right? You'll still be disappointed. And yet, um, probably the, the, uh, the thing I've spent the most time exploring from a research point of view is can you talk about them are you willing to talk about them is your team a kind of place where people talk uh, talk about them because that's you know that's that's just so crucial because you'll learn i hope you'll learn i mean you won't learn if you don't reflect but it's even better if all your colleagues can learn too and and thereby prevent the preventable failure of repeating that same failure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of different directions. This conversation can go from here, but maybe let's touch on psychological safety. Like there's, there's people's um, if you will, I don't know, willingness to admit an error, but given a certain situation, it might not feel safe. Can, 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 can you give us your definition of, psychological safety yes. and why that's necessary to have a culture of learning from mistakes. I define psychological safety as a belief that your context is safe for interpersonal risks, like speaking up to ask for help when you're in over your head, like speaking up to admit a mistake or acknowledge a failure or point to someone else's mistake uh, that you that you see them happening. And I, I think it's important to clarify, this is, I'm not I'm not aware of any place on earth where that's easy, but I am aware of places where people believe it's expected. It's acceptable. You won't be you know, rejected by your, by your colleagues. It's, it's just, we understand we have to do that, right? Whether it's to provide patient safe patient care or to, you know, develop really innovative products and services. Like people just say, that's what we got to do around here, even though it isn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I've, I've been in some workplaces that are very, very low in that spectrum, or at least I felt it. And I've, I've thankfully been part of some teams where I felt like it was very high. And I saw it demonstrated where it was a norm of somebody sharing, hey, here's a mistake I made this week. Even if it was in that basic failure kind of realm, just as, hey, hey, uh, just so you know, because the same thing might happen to you in the way we yeah. use Gmail or something mundane like that. Right. And then when the CEO speaks up and says, oh, well, oh, gosh, that's happened to me. Yes. And, oh, here's something I did that I think helps. I, I think that that is, um, I, I think, represents that's, high psychological safety. It represents it and it reinforces it, which is so great, right? Because it, it can be a kind of positive feedback loop in the same way that it can be a negative feedback loop. If if someone speaks up earnestly and honestly about something they did wrong and then they get pounced on, they're never going to do it again. Right. We learn quickly. <laughs> what's, right. what's one, one, trial, one trial learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to the kind of the the breakdown of different types of failures that I, I think you, you spell out really clearly in the book. There's some stories in there about developing a brand new surgical procedure on the, the leading edge of innovation versus, you know, I had a guest on this podcast a long time ago who was an anesthesiologist who admitted, I think, what we would call a basic failure of an attending re- um, surgeon or no, the resident surgeon, my mistake, cutting into the wrong side of the patient on a very routine oh, procedure. Yes. You, you, you know, think of situations like that and you, you use these two different words in the book, praiseworthy. And I'll say this carefully because I know there's a lot of nuance you get into blame worthy. Right. Thinking of two different situations like that. What, what are your thoughts? Well, we need to know more about them. So let, let me um, let me first describe the, what I call the three types or three archetypes of failure. And you're absolutely right that the sort of wrong side surgery is almost always can almost always be categorized as a basic failure because it is a it's like a single cause. Basic failure has a single cause, usually human error. I mean, I suppose occasionally some unexpected event from the outside might just come in and you know turn off the power or something and could still be a basic failure. One cause, right? One cause, bad outcome. Um, and it's very hard for me to imagine a wrong side surgery that isn't a basic failure, right? Because you knew in advance which was the diseased side and you know, maybe maybe the um, X-ray was put up backwards or something, but you know, it's it's an error, right? It's an error. Let's let's not have those. In fact, I think we should all be dedicating ourselves to making basic failures few and far between. Complex failures are multi-causal, right? And generally, the, the quintessential complex failure has many causes that happened, many factors that happen to line up just the wrong way and 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 create a failure where none of them on their own would have led to a bad outcome but it was it was it was the combination of them um and i've studied i've studied many of them but maybe the most the one of the best known ones in the world today is the boeing 737 max airline crashes those were quintessential complex failures and i won't go into the you know 20 or 30 factors that come together but um those two, when we're at our best, are preventable. Right? When we speak up quickly and early about a concern, about the way something's unfolding or some small deviation that we see that on its own might not seem like much, but could create a vulnerability. So you know, at our best, 
got high reliability organizations. We're, we're, we're not mistake free because we fallible human beings will always make mistakes, but we can be reasonably failure free because we can get very, very good at catching and correcting uh, before bad things happen. And then the third kind of failure are, I call them intelligent failures, and they are the undesired but thoughtful foray into new territory, where literally there was no other way to know what would happen without trying it, without without that, that experiment. So that's the three types of failure. Now, what I say, just to kind of illustrate the idea that in most organizations, we don't have what we might call a healthy failure culture or a healthy mistake culture, um, is that if you think about any failure uh, in an organization, you know, that's big enough to care about, it's not just, you know, a paper cut. Um, and then you just, and you have to ask the question, as one always does, like, what caused it? And then let's say we, you know, we step back and we figure out what caused it. And then I say, well, there's a spectrum of possibilities of causes. So this is different than the type of failure, but it's the types of causes. And I can array those types of causes on a spectrum from totally blameworthy to totally praiseworthy, right? Whereas blameworthy is, you know, sabotage, deliberately um, doing the wrong thing, you know, maybe deliberately turning that X-way around the wrong way so that the a surgeon would harm the patient. I mean, unthinkable. I cannot, I cannot think of anything like that ever happening. But um, if that were to happen, we would, we would, all of us, I think would recommend, you know, you're out, you know, you're, that's it. It's, 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 um, it's, it's a totally blameworthy act and, and, and it's not acceptable under any conditions. So, um, now let's go all the way to the other side of the spectrum where I have, you know, a, a thoughtful experiment that ends in failure. That's a praiseworthy action, right? We were, if, as long as it was thoughtful and not foolhardy, right? So you, you, you did your homework, you thought it through, you thought this might help our customers and you, you know, and you were wrong. Okay. So we should be giving you a nice round of applause. Now, and so here's the kind of litmus test that I like to play with for, for organizations or teams, which is, you know, I just say sort of hypothetically, what percent of failures are caused by blameworthy acts? And people usually say, oh, very few, you know, they're even reluctant to give a number, but you know, it's just not how we roll. And then I, and then I say, okay, I, I buy, I buy it. And then I say, well, excuse me, what percent of failures in your organization get treated as if they were caused by blameworthy acts? And then there's usually laughter or a gasp where it's like, oh, you know, all of them or <laughs> most of them. And so they're illustrating to themselves that um, we still don't have the right mindset around failures, right? It's it, when we realize that we're fallible human beings, we will make mistakes. There will be accidents. There will be experiments that don't pan out. How do we react to them in such a way that truly Keep encouraging people to try their hardest in our naturally volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you, what you point out through you know surveying people that way um, lines up to something I've observed that there's this interesting gap where, on an individual level, in the, people say things like "Oh, failure, mistakes can right. be a best teacher," some variation of that phrase. Like that seems not controversial. And then how right. does that then not translate when an organization is a collection of people, the organization seems to lose sight. It's of true. That idea. I think it's, 
old habits, like old yeah. um, uh, incentive structures, mindsets that that um, are a vestige from the industrial era, where you really could put in place plans or processes to be followed and expect with a high degree of certainty that if that plan or process is followed, the result would be exactly what was desired, what was needed or model T for there. There it is at the very end of the line, uh, just as you expect. Um, And if you don't get that model T at the end of the line, then that means somebody somewhere didn't do what they were told. Um, And, and, it's just laughable, you know, to think about how few of our work environments in the 21st century fit into that kind of, you know, sort of predictable space. Um, and yet our habits are, 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 are holding on tight, our habits and our mindsets. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, one of those old habits or mindsets that I've run, I still run across. I mean, so, you know, earlier we talked about people who might be, um, I don't know, almost flippant about failure, like, oh, fail early, fail often, yeah. but they're being reckless. They're not doing thoughtful experiments as you're pointing out like that. And, and, and it's not guaranteed that failure leads to learning either. Right. So no. people just say, Hey, who cares? We're going to go try. Right. We'll fail early, fail right. often. They might go That's sloppy and sloppy. wasteful, right? So if you have, you know, if you have a failure and you don't learn from it, I think that's just waste. Right. Because you're, you're, um, you're, you've made this investment, you've bought this thing, but now use it, right? It, you use your investment uh, to it, inform your, your future. Yeah. And help. Yeah. Go and forward. then there's that second cause of waste, I guess, when leaders are super negative about mistakes. They'll say things yeah. like failure is not an option. They'll demand right. action. Right. I've heard leaders say things like, well, when when people make mistakes, I mean, we, we have to punish them. Otherwise, right. otherwise we're giving right. permission for more. And that's always like, you know, it's my so, head is not literally it, exploded from that, but. Right. But it's quite illogical because it, in, in fact, it's not only illogical, it's counterproductive. It's illogical because you're assuming that people make mistakes, you know, because they're, um, they're not, uh, trying hard enough, you know, they're, they're not, they're not motivated to avoid them. And, and, and it's counterproductive because when you, when you take that stance, you don't make humans suddenly perfect. What happens is you just increase dramatically the chances that you won't hear the truth anymore. Right. And that isn't a good outcome. And, and we see, and you, you, you quoted um, the late great W Edwards Deming. Uh, in the book, and there's famous stories going back to Deming's days of plant managers demanding zero injuries, and we were going to give a, a prize if we have zero injuries, and people just stopped reporting the obvious visible injuries right. that had occurred. Right, right. But then in your work you know, around psychological safety, there are things that we can do, even in a healthcare setting, to to help people right. feel safe. Not not just that they're speaking up, but they're actually being heard, and that it's leading to improvement. Can can you can you t- share some thoughts on like trying to shift that culture to to one yes. where there are more yeah. reports? Right. In fact, my you know my initial interest in and and sort of discovery of differences in psychological safety came from a study of medication errors. And what I stumbled into by accident, without without being looking without looking for this, was 
phenomenal differences, substantial differences in reporting behavior, sort of the willingness to report uh, the things that went wrong. And that sort of struck me as um, is, is quite interesting, right? Because if people can't report, then we, you know, collectively, their, their teams, their organizations can't learn. And that's risky, it seemed, it seemed to me. So then I want to understand, well, what is it, what would make it possible for people over here, one part of an organization, to willingly speak up with these interpersonally threatening messages, whereas another part of the organization like no way, no how. Um, it's easy to understand the implications, but what were the you know what were the factors that explained that? Because they have the same uh, senior leadership, they have the same kind of culture and education and so on, but there's this difference. And ultimately, it became clear to me that it's the it's the sort of local leadership, right? It's the leaders in the middle. It's the middle managers, the the branch managers, the the unit managers, right? The the people in the middle who are kind of the operational leaders for where the work is happening, um, whether that work is R and D or, or or you know care delivery or other forms of execution, and how they show up and how they respond to honesty is it makes all the difference, and it creates you know the possibility of of teams that can learn from their own experiences versus ones that really maybe individuals might be learning but the teams are not learning and and to me that's a, a risk factor yeah yeah and 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 i see i don't somewhere i i either shake my head or roll my eyes sometimes i i, yeah. I hear a lot of admonitions for we need a speak up culture mm-hmm. and it's blaming the employee whoops no i caught you during a right. second Sorry. No, no, that's okay. But, but I'm like, maybe we should frame it as a listen up culture. Like we need absolutely, more listening. absolutely. I mean, I, I obviously both both matter, but a speak up culture. You're right. It, it puts the onus. It sounds like it puts the onus on the employee. And um, really, what we need is a learning culture, right? A culture that realizes that each and every day we have a lot we can learn from each other, you know, from our clients, um, from the world. Like we're just approaching it like sponges. Like what am I, you know, almost selfishly, what am I missing? I got to ask Mark what he sees because I'm sure I'm missing something that he sees. And then that is both like, I'm now motivated to listen to you when you speak up and then you will find it as a positive experience and, and, and vice versa. Um, so I also wanted to ask you, Amy, because um, you, you you write quite a bit um, getting beyond um, talking about types of failures and causes of failures, but how to learn. Because, I mean, it seems not automatic, not as easy as it sounds. Like, what are some of your thoughts, for example, like striking the balance between reflecting oh. and ruminating? Well, I've had some guests who've come on and shared part of their mistake story was that they dwelled on it too long um, instead of being able to reflect in a way that was more focused on learning. What what are some tips that you have about that? Yes. Oh, I and and ruminating is such an important and 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 powerful negative force. You know, when you when you find yourself just going around in circles and the shame deepens and the, you know, the, and then the loneliness deepens too. So that's clearly not good. And yet we do want to reflect. We don't want to just blithely move on. Oh, that's okay. You know, mistakes happen. I'm just not going to give it any thought. Um, so I think of reflecting as um, 
a, a, a profoundly cognitive process that we, we can train ourselves to engage in it. And it starts with the simple question, what happened, right? Our brains are leaping to who did it and am I at fault and am I bad? Clear that deck, right? Just pause, throw those thoughts out the window and start with the question, what happened? As if, as if you were a filmmaker just watching the scene unfold and Part of what happened will include things you did that contributed to the outcome, the failure, and and maybe some things you didn't do that you could have done, but whatever. But you'll just, in a clean, clear, rational way, take a look. What happened? And then what's in it for me? Like, what are the, what are the things I can take away from that, that, that maybe are a watch out for me going forward? Um, maybe it's just idiosyncratic, you know, that kind of thing won't isn't likely to recur, but more often than not, there's at least something that with that simple question, what happened, you can take away. Um, I like the self-discipline that I learned from a mentor of mine, Larry Wilson, of stop, challenge, choose. And stop is just pause, breathe, and then challenge your automatic spontaneous thinking, which is usually overly emotional, um, maybe, you know, blaming yourself or others. Just challenge it and say, is that the only way to think about this situation? And then choose the healthy response, right? The healthy response is a forward looking, you know, what can I do better? How can I make it up to someone? You know, all of the things like think about the future in as productive a way as you can versus getting caught and stuck in the past that you can't change. Yeah. And I think the oyster sauce story that you started with illustrates those points. Rude, isn't it? Of stop, don't get upset, challenge the idea, yeah. well, this is yeah. ruined, this is garbage. Right. And they found right. out. Oh, it's not garbage, it turns out. It's delicious. <laughs> a delicious, positive path uh, forward. Um well, Amy, I also wanted to ask, um, I, I like ask, asking authors this question. I think um, you you especially, when you think about inevitable mistakes in the book writing or editing or proofreading or publishing process, what, what are your thoughts or experiences um, as, as an author? Well, first of all, they there will be mistakes even, right, even after all that reading copy editing, checking it. Turns out, you know, a couple will slip through. I found one. I, there's probably more, but I found one the other day uh, in chapter two. Um, there's a place, and I can't believe I missed this. Um, you know, I must have read this chapter a hundred times. Um, there is one place where I say I use DNA instead of RNA, and it's an error, right? Like, ah, you know, married to a scientist, I should know better, but I, I made that mistake. Um, but there's another so there's those little mistakes that that sneak through and end up in the in the bound copy, which is a shame. But then there's the um, the mistakes that are in the draft every single day, right? Every single day that I open up the manuscript again to get to work, I see not you know not mistakes that are just like errors, like but but just like bad writing or you know not not clear or not simple or or and 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 so the beauty of writing you know the, the pain of writing but also the beauty of writing is you can keep at it and and just it doesn't cost anything to throw it out you know throw out the bad sentence or or uh spend the time to clean up the bad sentence and make it better yeah i i, I think it, it it seems true every book 
published has mistakes slip through. It's human error, even with trained, yes. skilled. Yeah, and other people reading it too. Fatigue yeah. and other factors or our brain thinks it saw something that- Confirmation bias, right? It's especially hard to fix your own, I mean, to see your own errors in your writing because you know what it's supposed to say. Yeah, but I, I, I know you might get a kick out of this because I know you've studied Toyota and you've written about them in the book. Jeff Liker's book, The Toyota Way, had a typo on page one <laughs> of that book, which I'm not blaming him for. I don't I, know how. No, no, I have that book somewhere around here, uh, yeah. but that's so great. And the same has happened um, with me when I when I sat and did the audiobook reading, I think I found as we were going through either I saw or the audio engineer, I think there were, there was about on average one per chapter and it was, it was little things um, like um, just um, using the number three to refer to a chapter instead of spelling out the word. Like there was one place oh, yeah. that stylistic yeah. change um, slips through. Those are things that I would sort of call typos. Now I will yeah. admit, and I, I, I believe you when you say others like us more when we admit failures. <laughs> so um, actually, as it turns out, related um, to you, Amy, the, 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 I think the only factual error that I made in the book was attributing the Google research on psychological safety to you when it was more based upon your work, correct? Correct. Correct. I woke up like other people and read about the project Aristotle in the New York times magazine. And I was astonished and of course, happy. Right. Now I was happy that a sharp eyed reader pointed it out and I'm working in more of a print on demand world. So yes, I don't know. There's these early copies, you know, there's only a handful of the risk of that mistake isn't as big. I'm still a little embarrassed by it. No, but it's, you're just giving me credit. I don't deserve. There's no problem with that. Um, (laughs) No, actually, but I, I, um, I don't know why, you know, that's the sort of the just in time and the iterative, I, I, in in right kind of wrong, I describe instead of a bias for action, it's a bias for iteration. Right. And, and it's, um, I don't know why publishing isn't more that way, right? Because readers, again, they're very willing to tell you when they find a mistake and then you can just fix it. But instead, I mean, that that RNA DNA mistake I just told you about, they're already doing a fourth printing and, mm-hmm. you know, it's still there. Yeah. Well, I hope you won't ruminate about that one. Too. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. Not I a favorite. Not that. a favorite mistake, but um, it's okay. We we don't like you less because you admitted you make mistakes, Amy. We, that's 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 thankful um, that that society operates that way. So again, our guest today has been uh, Amy Edmondson. Her new book is Right Kind of Wrong. I've made. I'm sure others have made the mistake of wanting to put in the yeah into the title. It's just Right Kind of Wrong. Was there? So um, last question. Yeah. Uh, thinking about titles, like. Yes. Discussion of like, should the word the be in there? Yeah. Well, and here it is. But I, I, I thought about it. I mean, when I first came up with it, it was the right kind of wrong, but it was, it's because of the subtitle, like I, which is the science of failing well. And I couldn't bear to have double the, I don't know if that's just, (laughs) I think that's just aesthetic. Um, But, but I thought, and I thought the the was necessary in the subtitle and not necessary in the title. So, but I don't think it's a terrible error when no. people stick it in. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs>
it's better than not referring to the book at all. And a lot of people are talking about it and posting about it. So again, congratulations on, on the release, Amy. And I'll put links in the show notes, of course, um, to the website. And I love, I love the cover. Thank you. Um, So um, thank you. I'm really thankful that you could take the time and, and be a guest here on the podcast today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Amy for being a wonderful guest today. I do encourage you to check out her latest book, Right Kind of Wrong, The Science of Failing Well. Look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 237. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.